0: Um, love when E. Michael Jones, Dr. E. Michael Jones, comes on to our, our stream. So welcome, Mike. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, me. Gemma.
1: It's always a pleasure to be with you.
0: Oh, it's great to have you on. And your new book is out. We'll be talking about that later and how people can get it. But um, just give us a little rundown.
1: Yes, The Dangers of Beauty, The Conflict Between Mimesis and concupiscence in the Fine Arts. It's a history of uh, art from the cave paintings in Spain all the way up to uh, the ridiculous wretched excess of the 20th and 21st century. Uh, So the first part is on uh, painting in Italy. You have a picture there of uh, Titian's Noli Me Tangere, one of the great works of art, Uh, deep psychological meaning to that picture. Uh, We then go to music in Germany in the 18th century and then we go to poetry in England in the 19th century, and then we go to uh, the collapse of art in the 20th century, uh, and the uh, turn away from mimesis and the consequences that follow from that. So that's the book. It's available now at culturewars.com. Uh, we're, uh, we're delivering uh, across Europe uh, so far. We've put, books have arrived in France and England. Uh, I don't know about Ireland yet, but uh, yeah, we're shipping them out. So,
0: yes, I must check because I know you did send me a copy very kindly. Oh, then
1: so you I did have... get it. So we are getting no, no, I, have,
0: I, I don't know. But I imagine I just need to check my post. Um, and of course, you have a new book coming out. You're working on at the moment on the Holocaust, which yeah. I think people will be absolutely fascinated to read. Are you having any difficulties? With uh,
1: no, no, it's it's going. It's easy to write. It's a, a, a obvious topic. The whole second half of the 20th century has been dominated by what I'm calling the Holocaust narrative. Uh, so at the same time, your nose is rubbed in it. You're not allowed to say anything about it. It's a very peculiar situation. I mentioned in at the in the preface to the book, I said I mentioned that it was uh, uh, it was like uh, Dracula, where Jonathan Harker is in the uh, hospital in Budapest after his night was in Dracula's castle. And he ha- Minna shows up and he hands his diary to Minna and he says, here is my diary. Do not read it. This is exactly the, the contradictory impulse that we've been having for over 50 years now, going on 70 years now of like, here is another story about the Holocaust narrative. Do not discuss it. Just accept it. Well, uh, we're long past that. This is, we have to look at this so it's basically an analysis of the texts that have created this narrative from the beginning all the way up to, uh, up to the present. It turns out <laughs> it's not gonna go away anytime soon. Ken Burns, I'm sure you're familiar with Ken Burns, the great American documentary maker who did the documentary on the Civil War that made him famous. Did a documentary on baseball. He is the arbiter of what you're supposed to think if you want to be a good American. And he's just coming out with a new documentary called The US and the Holocaust, which uh, you'll surpri- be surprised to hear, but it basically demonizes every American for not doing enough to save Jews during the Second World War. Oh, no. Who knew? Left. I thought we were the heroes. I thought the Americans did save the Jews. I thought we had those all those documentaries. Remember the, the black uh, tank battalion that liberated al oh, wait a minute, That was a hoax. But I mean, that was the type of story we were being told. Now we're being told the exact opposite. It's so hard to know what you're supposed to think anymore. So that's why I wrote the book.
0: Well, I think it's probably likely to be a bestseller. You know, but they must be getting very worried if they're having to counter you know, a narrative that at this stage has so many holes in it. And, you know, I've been like your streams, Mike, on um, BitChute are getting really. That's not a good example there, but they're getting really, really big views because, you know, you're calling out the so-called truth movement and the people that, you know, they will go down all sorts of rabbit holes, but they will not touch the Jewish question. And I mean, I myself have been warned by people that you know should know better when you talk to them and say look you know once you start researching the holocaust it is absolutely shocking it doesn't add up at all but there's just then a deafening silence the blinds come down and you are just looked at with total score now i know you've probably been experiencing that michael for so long um it but it's scary you know that it, People I really, really am very disappointed in. They will not touch this subject. And you've called a lot of them out in recent
1: streams. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I you know I got a PhD in literature. So I'm kind of, you know, that's what I was trained to do. There's, you know, it's, it's a series of literary works. It's uh, Anne Frank's Diary. It's Elie Wiesel's Night. It's Yeshi Kaczynski's uh, Painted Bird. It's Vil' Kamirsky's Fragments, it's Misha and the Wolves, and so on and so forth, all the way up to the present. Hunters, they just did this ridiculous uh, uh, movie uh, for uh, Netflix or one of those things. So why uh, is there some type of prohibition about doing literary criticism? Well, as a matter of fact, there is, because... One of the people I uh, wrote about, a lady by the name of Franklin, wrote her own history of the Holocaust narrative, and she had said the net effect of this was to kill literary criticism. Well, uh, I'm gonna try and bring literary criticism back. I was trained to do it. I've been doing lots of other things, but I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. By the way, the whole uh, large part of the last part of the dangers of beauty is about the whole battle over literary criticism and how important that was and how a certain group of people just took over literary criticism. Uh, it, it's, 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 an important, it's an important issue. And, and uh, uh, you've been warned, you, you told me that, I saw the warning. You've been, you've been I, I saw the newspaper, you had it up here a minute ago.
0: Yes, that's well, right, well. It's, there it's, there it's you not- are.
1: <laughs> it, it says Ireland's far-right groups influenced by American far-right agreement. This is terrible. Who are these far right American extremists?
0: I have who, no idea because I certainly haven't been. To, well, this must, it must must be you, obviously. I, I can't
1: you. be me. I I am not. I am not an extremist. I. I it can't be me. Oh wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe if I look down farther, who is the who is the lady who's leading this charge here? I think I remembered well, her name. I think her name is go. Heidi Byrick. Oh wait a minute. I remember Heidi. Why didn't they tell her where she came from? She used to work for the Southern Poverty Law Center. If there's ever a terrorist organization in the United States of America with a completely bogus, phony name, it's the Southern Poverty Law Center. And she uh, wrote me up, uh, I guess, about 2007, something like that. She wrote this, uh, this ridiculous piece in which she said, uh, Jones, this was about. Catholic anti-Semitism. So she, she cobbled together about 12 people when the, really, I'm the only guy she really wanted to go after. The other people complained about being associated with me. And I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to be associated with me either. But anyway, she wrote this thing where she said, Jones has this theory about logos, which is the Latin word for reason oh, wait a minute, Heidi, it's Greek. I can tell you never studied Greek or Latin when you were in high school. I don't know where you went. And then she went on to say, this guy sponsored a conference in Germany. Oh my God, he went to Germany. This is really serious. And the the the, the topic of the conference was deracination. Well, that means race, doesn't it? I mean, you're talking about a complete ignoramus here. She doesn't know that deracination comes from the French deracine, de which means roots. This is about roots. It had nothing to do with race, but this is a type of moron that Heidi Byrick is. And she's the pit bull that, uh, that they, uh, they yank her chain and she barks at you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all I can say is, uh, you know, Heidi, the dogs bark. But the caravan passes by, so you can bark all you want. She barked at me 13 years ago, and pretty much uh, nothing happened. Sorry, Heidi. I yeah, mean, I
0: mean, we were supposed to react to this, but I mean, she does admit we expect the far right in Ireland to continue to grow. That's great news, Heidi. It means that. Well, you if they didn't
1: would- think that, they wouldn't have attacked you, Gemma. So this is well, exactly. this is a, a this is a tribute to the effectiveness of what you, were, what you were doing. If what you were doing wasn't effective, you wouldn't be named in this article. It's that simple. As the military people say, you only get flack when you're over the target. And so you're getting flack. This is proof that you are having an effect. This is, congratulations.
0: No, I was delighted. I was really delighted we came top of the list on this one. And uh, she even names us down here Uh, I mean, there was a time when there were libel laws and courts you could go to to defend your good name, but I wouldn't even bother. I mean, the courts are so corrupt, but this is such a a libelous report. And we've attended, I have attended events put on by the Irish Council for Human Rights. Well, first of all, I haven't, but uh, they're the Irish Council for Human Rights. They sound very dark and nefarious, don't they? But um you know, this, it's really pathetic, Mike, isn't it? It's, it's just,
1: it's, it's pathetic because this is no time. This is no time to give up. This is a sign that we are having an impact. And it's, it's like, you don't want to surrender just before uh, victory. You know, it's, I'm not saying there's going to be no more struggle. It's going to be, it's going to intensify because things always intensify at the end because things get, more extreme at the end because they get more desperate because what this is saying is that the usual forms of control are no longer working. They are not working. And this is because the situation is so extreme right now that nobody can go back to business as usual. And I'm talking about the situation in Europe. Situation in Europe is dire. It is dire and probably more dire in Germany than it is in Ireland. Ireland but dire for the entire uh, continent of Europe because of this crazy, absolutely crazy criminal uh, war in the Ukraine where the United States is basically uh, sending weapons in that get immediately blown up and innocent people get killed because the Jews who are in charge of both the State Department in the United States, Mr. Blinken, our Secretary of State, and the Jews who are in charge of the operation in the Ukraine, like Mr. Zelensky and Newland and the people who put him in power, the Kagan family, they are willing to fight this war to the last drop of Ukrainian blood because they're not Ukrainians, because they don't care, uh, uh, they don't give a damn about the Ukrainian people. And this is a history, a history of Jewish influence over the Ukraine. Their history is of Jews, uh, let's, uh, like um, the guy yeah, Lazar Kaganovich shows up and starves the Ukrainians to death. And so you whip them up into a frenzy by saying that he was a Russian. No, he wasn't a Russian. He was a Jew who was a communist who was a, a, a powerful figure in the Soviet Union. And if you can't distinguish between Jews who were commissars in the Soviet Union and the Ukrainian people, You should look for another another line of work. And speaking of people who should look for another line of work, there is this 30-year-old chick who's now running the foreign policy of Germany. Foreign Minister Baerbock.
0: Let's have a listen to uh, what she said to her voters in English. She obviously is under the misguided belief that uh, her voters uh, prefer her to speak in English. But here she (laughs) goes.
2: with my French uh, colleague, making uh, clear that we stand uh, with Ukraine as long as they need us. And because we all agree on this, and this is not a a sentence to applause for, because this is just a a normal thing, uh, if you believe in the rule of law and in the freedom in the world, I would uh, maybe give some controversy in the the discussion, and I've listened to to your speech, which I really valued, but I would disagree on one sentence uh, you said of saying, we shouldn't talk about, maybe this war should go on uh, for a longer time, because... If I give the promise as a politician and luckily in democracy, it could be the chance that people disagree with me and uh, they say in four years, well, you didn't tell us the truth. But if I give the promise to people in Ukraine, we stand with you as long as you need us then I want to deliver, no matter what my German voters think, but I want to deliver to the people of Ukraine. And this is why, for me, it's important to be always very frank and clear. And this means every measure I'm taking, I have to be clear that this holds on as long as Ukraine needs me. And this is why I think it's so important that we have to be frank. Yes, everybody wishes from us that tomorrow the war stops, but in case tomorrow it wouldn't stop. I will be also there in two years' time. And then sometimes it sounds uh, a bit uh, uh, difficult on the EU level, and this is also where we disagree uh, sometimes on uh, measures the European Union is taking, because every sanction package, we have to prepare that it holds also for the next maybe two years. If we don't need it uh, two years long, well, this is great. But if we would need it, it has to hold as long as Ukraine uh, Okay. We're back to
0: 1923, basically. Judea declaring war on Germany. Would that be fair to say?
1: Yeah, they they, uh, called for a boycott. And uh, Kristallnacht, which everybody knows about, was the reaction to this declaration of economic war on Germany.
0: Absolutely. Sorry, that's a bit true. And... um, I would. Oh, wait, wait
1: a minute. Let's let's go back to this lady. I have to I have to interpret yeah. this as literary criticism here. First of all, uh, 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 why are you speaking English? You know, you know what? It's, it's really a struggle. It's a struggle to speak German with Germans. They have they are so they are so brainwashed. They have this inferiority complex. They feel guilty, and on top of that, they think that uh, you think they're stupid. If they speak German, because if you speak German, it's obvious you didn't go to the gymnasium. You went to the Realschule and learned how to be a plumber or something like that, something disreputable. So they they have this complex about speaking German. So you have to basically hand wrestle with them every time there's a conversation and finally say you establish, okay, we're going to speak German. Okay, now this means that you're alienated from your own people. Uh, You you you. We have this phenomenon now. It's not just in Germany, but we have it in Michigan. You have a Jewish lesbian who's the attorney general who thinks the people of Michigan are her enemy, her enemy. So you have a, 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 a German foreign minister who is talking about the Ukraine as if it's her husband, Did you notice that? I I will be there if you need me. Wait a minute. What don't you are you married? What are you talking about here? This is this is a country. It's not a man. You didn't marry this country. Why are you talking this way? Is it because you're a woman? I don't know. But this is crazy. Your responsibility is to represent the interest of the German people. Now, why doesn't she do that? Well, because the German people are to slip into German here. And Täterfolk, this was a big topic of conversation in Germany a while back. They are people who perpetrated uh, some bad event. And what was the bad event? Well, it was the Holocaust. So wherever you look, you're going back to the Holocaust narrative. This is only explicable. The way this lady is behaving, the complete irrationality of Germany right now, the complete irrationality of their foreign minister is only explicable in light of the Holocaust narrative. That's why this book is important.
0: Well, explain that, explain that in, in terms that people will understand that it it is only explicative. It, It can only be explained by going back to the Holocaust and the lie that is the Holocaust.
1: So, uh, I I could give you another example, the Canadian trucker thing. How does that, how does that, so a Jewish lady stands up, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. Well, as soon as you say that, there's no discussion anymore. We can't discuss anything. What you ever you say now is completely infallible. And so then she goes on to say, honk honk equals Heil Hitler. So these are tyrants who don't want, who hate, in this instance, the Canadian people, and they want to shut them up They want to circumvent the rule of law. They want to violate their own constitution. So they bring in the Holocaust narrative and suddenly the constitution doesn't apply. You don't have rights anymore if you're on the wrong side of the Holocaust narrative. And so that's where the way they identified the truckers. They're Nazis because they're Nazis, they're bad people and they have no rights. And so we can do whatever we want with them. That's the way it works. Now, in Germany, you had a ruling class. It came into existence at some point. It would be interesting to figure out the date. I think I do know the date. I think it was 1970 when this happened. And I think what happened is Willy Brandt. Remember Willy Brandt? The guy who stood next to Kennedy when he said, Ich bin ein Berliner, which means I am Mm -hmm. a jelly donut, if you really, uh, if you, but the Germans didn't want, they wanted to be polite about that. So anyway, Willy Brandt in 1970 goes to the Warsaw ghetto and he kneels down. Now, what does that mean? Is one of these gestures? It means he's accepting the guilt uh, uh, of uh, uh, for the German people. He is the leader of the German people. He is. He's saying in effect, "Their his blood beyond us and on our children." That's what he's saying. Because he knew, as a politician, he could have tremendous power if he got these people, the Jews and the Americans behind him on this issue. And that's what happened. The SPD jumped on this thing, and uh, they became the party of uh, social engineering, the official party of social engineering. And the first thing they did, I arrived in Germany about uh, three years later, uh, and uh, Willy Brandt was prime minister at that point. And uh, the thing, I was a teacher, and my job was, oh, we're going to do sex ed. They hadn't had sex ed until the socialists got in power. Now, in a basically conservative area of Nordland Westphalen, where I was teaching, uh, we're going to have sex ed imposed uh, on our children. That's, that, this is just some indication of how this narrative has been manipulated and used as basically it's the founding narrative of the American empire. Well, if you
0: wanted- I, you know, I, I was actually looking at this quote today by by John F. Kennedy. I don't know if you can read it there. Um, I'll read it. Hitler will emerge from the hatred that surrounds him now as one of the most significant figures who ever lived. He had a mystery about him in the way that he lived and in the manner of his death that will live and grow after him. He had in him the stuff of which legends are made. Um, I mean, what were John F. Kennedy's real thoughts? On, I mean, you know, we know why he was assassinated. We know he was trying to take these people down. He was a flawed character himself, but you know, he did do his bit to try and tackle the. He he, was. He he
1: was. He he was his own man. He was. Say maybe the last president. No, maybe Nixon, but he was his own man. And what we have now are all politicians who are someone else's man, who basically can't, can't uh, don't have a mandate from the people, and so therefore rule in the name of the oligarchs. Because he was his own man, he was going to do everything within his power to prevent Israel from getting uh, nuclear weapons. They're getting a, a nuclear reactor and nuclear weapons. Uh, they are one of the prime suspects in his assassination, along with the uh, CIA, the uh, alan dulles had motive because kennedy fired him after the bay of pigs invasion this is uh harry truman one week after let me say one month after kennedy was assassinated said that the cia which he brought into existence was a rogue operation that they had they were a law unto themselves and no one could control them i think it was a comment on the kennedy assassination this became obvious in the 1970s, the United States had the Church hearings, Senator Church from Idaho, uh, and basically one instance of the other where uh, the CIA went rogue. They were running their own operation. They were killing people, assassinating people with, uh, you know, they were running drugs. They were doing this whole thing. Jimmy Carter came into office, determined to rein them in, and George, he fired 2,000 CIA agents. And George H. W. Bush recruited them all and basically drove Jimmy Carter out of office by manipulating the hostage crisis in Iran. So you're talking about a group that is extremely powerful, uh, one of the major players in the oligarchy that controls us. And uh, uh, what are we going to do about it? We have less and less power as, as time goes on.
0: Well, I I want to get back to some of the things you've been talking about recently. And, um, you know, you've made this point that the breaking of the German people was the breaking of Europe. I think that's that's fair to say. I mean, Europe was doing so well under Hitler. And there was this incredible economic miracle. And they were determined to be independent of the Jewish banking system. Um, and I know that I sent you a video that Max Egan did recently, and I'd say from your position, it would be fairly basic. You know, some of the stuff that he I know you've investigated this in a much more thorough level, but a lot of us watch that. And some of the information in it was was quite new, certainly to me. Now, explain to us what the uh, Ryan Wiesen lager are um, for a start, because. OK.
1: Okay. That's, that's uh, one of the crucial, crucial issues here. Okay. So uh, the, uh, uh, as it became clear that the Americans were going to win the war, uh, the Jews began being very vocal about lusting for revenge. And the man who was the leader of this was... uh, uh, Morgenthau, who was the Secretary of Treasury under Roosevelt, who had enormous power over Roosevelt, and he came up with the Morgenthau plan, which was basically to starve the Germans to death, break them up, and turn them into an agricultural country with no industry. By the way, this is what the Germans are doing to themselves right now. This is crazy, but it's exact. They are f- the, 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 the worst aspect of Morgenthau plan came into being over the winter of 46, 47. It's called Das Hungerjahr in Germany. And basically this was when Morgenthau tried to starve the Germans to death. The hero of that, uh, uh, in that battle was Cardinal Frings of Cologne who stood up against the allies and they were completely prostrate. They had no power whatsoever, but yet Frings used his moral authority to defend the German people. That is the purpose of the Catholic church. And that's what he did. Okay. But Eisenhower was fully on board with the Morgenthau plan. He was there when it was cooked up in England, you know, I think in 44. And so what he did was implement his own version of the Morgenthau plan, which comes down to what's now called the Rhine Rheinwiesenlager, the Rhine meadows camps. Okay. Now, These were the
0: real up, concentration camps, right? These were the real concentration camps.
1: I, is that, look. When you're talking about concentration camps, if you're talking about Auschwitz, Auschwitz was a resort compared to the Rhein-Wiesenlager. Okay, the rhein so Eisenhower captures huge numbers of German soldiers. They couldn't make it over the, the bridge. All the bridges have been blown up. They're stuck on the uh, the east bank of the uh, I'm sorry, on the west bank of the Rhine. And so what does Eisenhower do? He just rounds them up. He puts a barbed wire fence around them and he lets them sit there and starve to death. No food, no water, no shelter. Now there's this plenty,
0: is. A, there's plenty of women in this picture as well and children.
1: Uh, if there is, I can't see them. Because, oh yeah,
0: there's plenty. No, yeah.
1: no but, you're, um, you're joking here, aren't you? No, because I'm not. they they were no they were the women were not allowed into the Rhein-Wiesel-Lager. This may be a picture of something else then.
0: Well, it's a, it's in Wikipedia, but so are you <laughs> saying
1: that this was just purely? for... No, no. Okay, now this cannot this cannot be the Rheinwiesen Lager because there's tents there. This may be, I don't know, but they had their own tents. There were no women; it was only soldiers. Mm. Okay, so if you go back to the original picture, this is uh, Rheinberg. I We had friends, English friends, in Reinberg. We lived just up the river from there, and we'd go down there. We didn't know anything about this in 1970. 73 to 76, we knew nothing. Nobody knew anything. The Germans weren't talking about it. Nobody was talking about this, okay? But there were certain areas where the farmers weren't allowed to dig because there were so many bones under there uh, of the people. Anyway, the main, the main Rhine-Vies and Lager were, uh, the main ones were there's uh, Remagen, the bridge over Remagen. It's not on the map here. They just have the names of the thing. Anyway, it's the floodplain of the Rhine. Eisenhower just put up a fence around them and it was soldiers and no food, no water, no shelter, and they starved to death there. Okay, now this is a violation of the Geneva uh, uh, Convention about how you treat prisoners of war. So Eisenhower simply said uh, they're not prisoners of war. Well, what are they then? They're soldiers in uniform. They are obviously prisoners of war. You are breaking the Geneva Convention. You know what you're doing, and innocent men are starving to death. This is no way. You're not allowed to do this in a war. This is one of the uh, triumphs of civilization is you have to treat prisoners of war in a certain humane fashion. You just can't kill them because they're, they're defeated. Well, we're back to barbarism here. This is, so what you're seeing here is, Look, Eisenhower has a conscience. Everybody has a conscience. You're born with one. If you have reason, you have a conscience. This is weighing on his conscience. The murder of these innocent men is weighing on his conscience. And so when he finally gets, he moves across the Rhine, he starts heading toward into uh, Bavaria, and there he finds the first concentration camp. Uh, It's called Ordruf. Now, a concentration camp that the Germans created had health facilities and they fed people and they clothed them and so on and so forth. Auschwitz is a prime example of this. The people, the the sign over Auschwitz said Arbeit macht frei. That means work will set you free. It was a work camp that was created so that the Jews could work in war industries and support the war effort in Germany. Okay, a swimming pool. I guarantee you the rhein lager had no swimming pools, okay? They didn't have food. There are stories, horrendous stories, it's all in the book, of people. A woman shows up with bread, uh, food for her husband and a bottle of wine. The soldier, American soldier drinks a bottle of wine, throws it down, and shoots her. This type of atrocity happened repeatedly on the part of the Americans, and it led to this huge burden of guilt. So what does Eisenhower do? He shows up at Ohrdruf. There are dead bodies all over the place. The main reason there are dead bodies in concentration camps, especially a concentration camp like Dachau, which I think Patton liberated, is because the allies had bombed the rail lines. There was no food getting in. They destroyed the water supply. Uh, And when you have that many people crammed together with bad water, uh, you're going to get disease. And the main disease was typhus, which is spread by lice. And people were dying like flies of typhus and also typhoid, which is bad water. You can look at some of the signs. They're on uh, you, you Google image search. Uh, Labenskafa typhus, something like that. It's uh, dangerous. Do- it's typhus. Uh, they're, they're, you need quarantine here. Are, so, you, are
0: you familiar with this book, um, "Breaking the Spell"? Um, who's that by? This is um, it's Nick Doctor Nicholas. Yes, yes. Yes.
1: And yes. Yes. You know, Oh, you know it yes
0: hes basic he's going into the um cyclone b and the the fact that it was more than likely there for the purposes of deizing and
1: yes that's 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 that's, that's 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 later i'm, I'm concentrating that's on late. the ri li- yeah, li- okay, okay. a lot no, okay no, because I know, yeah. In, the, in, the, in this, this, the course of the events, it's first they intern people at the Lager. Eisen in, interns them, knows that they're uh, going to die, and then he moves on farther, and then he comes across this camp where there are dead bodies on the ground. He immediately brings in psychological warfare, the psychological warfare operation. General McClure is in charge of psychological warfare. He brings him in and his assistant, and he says, next camp, we're going to do something. We're going to take pictures. Okay, they did take pictures of, uh, of uh, Ordruf. Patton was there. Patton got upset. But th- you, you have to make a fundamental distinction here. You've got a picture of corpses on the ground. That's a category of reality. Those people did die. They were there. They were real corpses. What you need to do as a propagandist is impose a category of the mind on that category of reality. And the category of the mind that they imposed on that was gas chambers. Didn't have, nobody says there were gas chambers at Ordruf. Okay, but that even that's that's later. This is coming. This is building up here. That hasn't happened yet. So but they're determined to make propaganda out of this. So the next stop is Buchenwald. And before anybody gets in, they send the the psychological warfare operatives into Buchenwald and they stage something there. So Buchenwald, uh, they make uh, the people uh Patton tells the mayor of weimar which is six miles down the road send a thousand people out there we're going to have a demonstrate what's going on here to shame them for all the bad things the nazis did so they show up and what's what did they show there is the the absolute the most important guy in psychological warfare in america in the 20th century who, who cd jackson He's McClure's assistant. He has staged a little diorama there, a little uh, table there. And on the table there is a a lampshade made out of, supposedly out of human skin, uh, two shrunken heads, and a pelvis that the Nazis used as an ashtray. Well, this is absolutely crazy. What are you saying that the the Germans engaged in shrinking heads? These were they were taken from a museum. they're from the Amazon. They're the people that shrink heads. They didn't have the 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 story downright. The narrative hadn't coalesced yet. and it wouldn't coalesce until they got until the Soviets got to Auschwitz. Now what happened there in the meantime, between the two of the things, you have uh, Berg and Belson. Now this are the British now. Uh, the British show up. There are corpses all over the trenches full of corpses. Well, why is that? Well, it's because of what I said. The camp, uh, the people in Auschwitz, the inmates in the camp, were given the choice of you can surrender to the Soviets or you can come with us as we retreat west. Most of them went west with the army, and one of them who went west was Elie Wiesel. Well, wait a minute, Elie, I thought this was an extermination camp, so why are you leaving with the uh, with the the Germans, uh, to go to another camp. So they show up at Bergen-Belsen. Bergen-Belsen is uh, cre- built for 3,000 people. It's got, I don't know the exact number, like 70,000 people now. The, the whole supply line has broken down. There's no water and people are dying like flies. And that's exactly what they see when they pull in there. It's horrendous. All of those corpses lying there. So what do they do? They take pictures. And then they give a call to Alfred Hitchcock who's in Hollywood, who's feeling a little bit guilty because he spent the war in Hollywood making films. And he agrees to do a documentary about what happened uh, in, the, in the camps. Same thing happened with the Americans, except it wasn't uh, Alfred Hitchcock. It was Billy Wilder, the man who made Some Like It Hot with uh, Marilyn Monroe. He comes and he starts taking pictures. He actually steps into the frame. There's a documentary. He steps into the camera range Uh, during that filming of C.T. Jackson in uh, in, in Buchenwald. So what you have here is the two pillars of the Holocaust narrative. You've got two propaganda films, one by the English, one by the uh, Americans. And what is the the common denominator here? It's guilt. Guilt. Eisenhower was guilty of the extermination of hundreds of thousands of innocent Germans who were prisoners of war. The British we're guilty of the saturation firebombing of places like hamburg and dresden if you want to talk about a holocaust which means burnt hole talk about dresden the firebombing of dresden 300,000 innocent people died in one night now this leaves a huge burden of guilt and the americans have to convince the world that they are good people and that the world should follow their lead because they liberated Europe from fascism, and so they confected this narrative, which is basically the fundamental narrative of the American empire. The fact that you, uh, Irish, are debating laws like this, uh, you know, Holocaust denial laws, is proof that you are a vassal state of the American empire. It's proof that Germany is a vassal state of the American empire, and now, We have reached the point, now, in the 50s, the Morgenthau plan got overturned and the Marshall plan got put in, and that meant we're going to lend Germany money, and they had the economic mural, the the Wirtschaftswunder. Well, now we're asking the Germans, uh, in the name of being good people, like that that pathetic young lady there who's the uh, foreign minister, to basically impose the Morgenthau plan on yourself, in other words, starve yourself to death. Make sure that you have no heat in your apartments because you need to fight the Russians in the Ukraine. Well, this is over. It's going to break now. It's going. This is going to break NATO. It's going, the, the, the demonstrations are already starting. I don't know whether you saw the demonstration in Prague. Yeah. 70,000 people in Prague show up and say no to uh, the war in Ukraine and make peace with Russia. That's that's the, what the people want they do not want this this ridiculous yes. crusade to preserve the gay disco to preserve their prison why am i demonstrating to keep me in i want you to keep me imprisoned this is what this is what the europeans are now are doing to themselves please lock us up in the united states prison known as the gay disco. We're, we'll be willing. We, we, I will be true to you. I will. You can count on me. This is crazy. It can't go on this way.
0: It's absolutely crazy. For people who are interested in, in delving more deeply into what you're talking about, this was sent to me today. It's a really, I, I mean, I don't know if you're aware of it, holocaustrevisionism.com, and it's about 180 pages of, just so much information, so many videos, um, and it's well worth spending a few days right. studying. Have you seen it? Yes, like,
1: I have. I, I, that's the video that I talked about is on that is on that site. Is it yeah. The,
0: uh, like some of the YouTube links, you know, you go in and they're gone, long gone, but I think you'll find them on you will find them on um, BitShoot, Mike. I've never really asked you your own opinion of Hitler. You know what? What? What do you feel? Was he? I mean, obviously they've done such a job on him, but w- what is your opinion?
1: Well, let, let's just look at the uh, objective facts of the situation. Germany is conquered after World War One. The Versailles Treaty imposes just onerous. Uh, reparations payments on the German people. Uh, The German people signed an armistice uh, ending the war, and uh, Winston Churchill instituted a blockade of German ports that basically starved uh, over, I don't know what the figure is. Some people say 100,000, some people say 400,000. This is outrageous behavior. The Germans were treated outrageously, and there was resentment. On top of that, you had a situation where the Jews were pouring in from the east. Uh, the Soviet Union was now in existence, and you had Jews like uh, Eugen Levine taking over Bavaria, creating the Soviet Republic of Bavaria. Same thing happened in, uh, in uh, Berlin. So you have the Soviet Republic of Bavaria. Well, the, the Bavarians didn't like it. They rose up and drove them out uh, because these were a- an alien group of people. The man who was there at the time was the nuncio Eugenio Pacelli, he goes to Wittelsbach Palace and he writes a, 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 a letter back to uh, to Rome, to the Vatican, saying, I went there. There are no Germans there. It's all Russian Jews. They have taken That's... over Bavaria. Now, uh, Daniel Jonah Goldhagen quoted that, misquoted it, mistranslated it, and said this was evidence that uh, Pius XII was an anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. This is the type of outrageous behavior. So anyway, this is the world that Hitler comes into. So he it was a, he he saw the power there, and what is the situation in Germany? He wants to unite Germany. Well, you can't unite Germany because of something called the Reformation. So you got Germany divided, radically divided. I di- I didn't I I was living in the Catholic area on the Rhine. I fit into that culture like a hand into a glove. Uh, you know, you learn the language. You're a Catholic too. They wanted to become a German citizen. I. Maybe I should have, I'd be in jail now if I had, but uh, I came back. But anyway, I suddenly years later, I got involved with some uh, reporter from Deutsche Welle who called me up and I'm suddenly realized that this guy is completely different than the Germans I knew. Well, he's a Prussian. That's why. And Prussia had conquered Germany and Prussia had imposed the German Protestant enlightenment on the Catholics. And it was called the Kulturkampf. That's, that's, that was the big battle of the 1870s, okay? So Hitler is confronted. I can't bring these people together. If I'm going to have unified unify this country, I have to go back before Christianity. And so it goes now involved in the whole racial myth of the German race. Race is not even a German word. They have a word now called Rasse, Rasse. Uh, they used to spell it R-A-C-E, but no German knew how to pronounce that, so they changed it to R-A-S-S-E. And German uh, Hitler got his like, racial ideas from an American by the name of Madison Grant. Madison Grant had the letter from Hitler thanking him for his ideas. He combined that American idea of race, you know, the blacks, all those blacks down south picking cotton, all the white people up in the north. That's nothing to do with Europe. That's nothing to do with Europe, okay? So he combines that with... Richard Wagner's operas, and he comes up with this weird combination uh, that kind of mesmerizes the German people, but is doomed to fail. It's doomed to fail. It cannot hold together because at a certain point, he starts attacking the Catholic Church. And once you demonize that, demonize the church, you know, you're on your way to losing the allegiance of the people. Now, the German people did hang together together, throughout the war, largely because of the behavior of the Americans and the British and their saturation bombing of civilian areas. These are war crimes. And that's what held the German people together. So this is the hand that was dealt him. I don't agree with it. But uh, unless you understand what he was trying to do, uh, you're not going to understand what the war was because all you have is this demonization of the man as something like, you know, like the evil incarnate.
0: If if Hitler had won the war, would we be in the state that we are in today as, you know, Europeans and Americans? I have to say, probably not.
1: Hitler was constantly trying to make peace. And he always met with intransigence on the part of the English and the Americans who demanded unconditional surrender. So. I mean, I, I, it's, it's a hypothetical question. You can't answer hypothetical questions. But he he uh, was
0: really also trying to keep, you know, interest usury out. He was right. trying to he keep had, he had a, a, the pornography and the degeneracy out right. of the LGBT. Right,
1: right. He did do that. The one, The man who was really epitomized everything Hitler, Hitler uh, was against with uh, Magnus Hirschfeld. He was a Jew and a homosexual. He created the Institute for Sexual Wissenschaft in Berlin, which Christopher Isherwood came over. He was another homosexual, and he realized it's just a a, a phony bordello that uh, is trying to pretend that there's some type of science involved in this thing. Uh, those were the books that got burned, by the way. Not, I don't recommend b- burning books. Okay, uh, but uh, this—if—if if you leave this out of the equation. You will never understand what was going on. So the Jews during the Weimar Republic, which was the interim after World War I up till 1933, were basically undermining the German morals uh, of the country, the sexual morals, which is what they do. This is what they did in America, so it doesn't surprise what they did in Germany okay uh, they were also um, collaborating with the enemy as i said mentioned with the, the soviet union with communism and so on and so forth and so he felt that he had to deal with them now the the paradigm that he had in mind in dealing with the jews was the way the turks dealt with the armenians that was on his mind he mentioned that so the analogy is a similar situation so the armenians are on the eastern border of the Ottoman Empire. They uh, have an allegiance to Russia. Russia is now at war. And so when the Russians basically attack Turkey, the Armenians go over to them. Well, the, the Turks can't tolerate this. And so they get, basically say, we're going to round them all up or we're going to put them in concentration camps. Well, the problem was that they had to march them 200 miles through the desert and they all died along the way or many millions of them died along the way. Now, the Turks to this day are saying there was no genocidal intent here. We were just removing an enemy. The Armenians say there was genocidal intent. But Hitler was aware of this, and he felt that the Jews were analogous to the Armenians. Well, The Russians were now the Soviet Union. You can't allow them on the eastern front because they're a fifth column. And so he decided to round them up and put them in concentration camps. That's where the idea came from.
0: This notion of the transfer agreement, the idea that they would be moved to Palestine with all of their assets, their wealth, et cetera. Um, and that was the idea that they were going to be taken. They would uh, be prepared in the concentration camps. They would be, you know, strengthened and they would be um, prepared for life in the desert. That is a theory that, you know, I'm just familiarizing myself with. Have you heard about that, the transfer Yeah, The, the,
1: the Zionists were collaborating with the Nazis. The Zionists, the Zionists are, in a sense, just Nazis. They're Nazis. They both share a common racial ideology. They both believe. I think that Hitler got the idea of the master race from the Jews because the Jews were The chosen people, right? And then it became the master race over the course of the 19th century and so on and so forth. And so they had a natural uh, common interest of basically removing the Jews from, from Europe. Zionists always wanted to get the Jews out of Europe. Herzl would go around trying to propose this as a solution because he knew in the 1890s everybody was talking about the Jewish question. France, certainly. So Herzl just comes in and says, look, I, I have the solution to the problem. Send them all to Israel and I'll take care of them and you will, you will be Judenwein. Uh, uh, that didn't work. But I mean, that was the rationale behind this. That's why the Zionists collaborated with, with the Nazis.
0: That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. This idea of the five million, because um, we know that there's definitely were not six, six million. million views. Six no, million. no, no, no. But that, but that Poland, the six million did, figure didn't exist. I think the Red Cross estimated that there was what what is the Red Cross figure again? Is it six hundred
1: thousand? Three
0: hundred Sorry. But these five, there was a 5 million increase in um, the Polish population after the war. Did, did, were you aware of that?
1: that oh, the, they they, they basically took,
0: they, they,
1: they took over German terror. First of all, one of the big crimes that took place during this time was the ethnic cleansing of Germans from uh, Ostpreußen, Pommern and uh, Schlesien, East Prussia, Pomerania and Silesia. They were Ger- so uh, the Germans that remained uh, probably increased the population of Poland. They lost they lost territory on the on the eastern front, but that was not as populous as what was on the west. I ran into this myself. Okay, I'm in yes. uh, I'm in East Prussia, uh, and I'm living uh, staying with this family, and uh, the lady's name is uh, balkowitz So we're talking in German. And then stupid me says, uh, you know, your your German's really good. And she laughs at me, he says, Well, of course it's good. I'm German. Obviously, it was her married name. Her maiden name was she was a German. And and then and she launches into this attack on the Poles. visits he had Jones, the Poles, these in dumb dick und gefrestig. They're dumb, they're fat, and they're they're just they just destroy everything. And at this point, the daughter says to her. I thought we were. I thought we were Poles. This is the time of the, the kind of submerged ethnic history of this area. Eleven. If you want to talk in millions, eleven to fifteen million people were expelled, and most of them died uh, as they were retreating from these now the the territories that were now going to be uh, conquered by the by the Soviet Union. It's a tragedy, but no one's allowed to talk about it. No one talked about it. There was little rumors back when I was there, but it was pretty much considered settled business. Well, now the Poles are going to ask the Germans for $1.3 trillion in reparations. Yeah. And the Poles, I think the Germans should say, okay, we'll pay you $1.3 trillion, but you give us back East Prussia, Pomerania, (laughs) and Silesia. Okay? And we'll sign it tomorrow. Well, you see, what you're opening a can of worms here now. This is exactly what this wretched war did. I think one of the main purposes of the war in the Ukraine was so that the the United States could break the German connection with Russia, the literal connection with those two pipelines, Nord Stream One and Nord Stream Two. And the stupid Germans fell right into this trap. And now they are doing to themselves. What Morgenthau tried to do to them in 1946, figure that one out. Where where is Frau Br- baybrook Has Frau baybrook ever heard of the Morgenthau Plan? Didn't you study in school, Das hungerjahr Doesn't she know about this? Where where is where is what is she thinking? That she can hand over. The German people to her enemies, to their enemies, she should be taken out. Oh, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that. I'll get in trouble if I say that.
0: Don't worry. We're all in this trouble. Is, this anyway.
1: is, she's a traitor to the German people. The German government, the German foreign minister should represent the interest of the German people. The interests of the German people are to be, have, be friends with Russia and to have the connection Uh, using their gas as a way of powering their industry. That's it. That's it. And there's no other Germany. This may not be the Germany you like, honey, but this is the Germany that exists. And if you keep this up, you're going to destroy it or they will destroy you.
0: Yeah, it's very hard to see how we can come out of this without Germany, you know, because it like it. it, I mean, it's just... It's so worrying to see how broken the German people are. I it's spoke exact, to
1: them. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. the problem. It's exactly yeah. the problem. It, so it, if you,
0: still, especially it, the young generations, Mike, they really hold on to that sense of you know they're like Greta Thunberg, you know it, incarnations. They're just very, very. Um, they're so woke compared to other European countries. I think. Well, what when so you woke.
1: say woke? When you boil that down, what does it come down to? It's the Holocaust narrative. That
0: exactly. Is the,
1: that, is the, that is the founding myth of the American empire. And you are a vassal state of the American empire. The proof of that is that Heidi Beirich is on your case. That's proof that you're a vassal state of Amer- the American empire. Germany is also a vassal state of the American empire, but it's got a lot more industry and money than, than Ireland does. Mm. And that's why they're that's why they're important. And there are people there who can't seem to understand that this is over. This era is over. NATO should have ended in 1991 when the Soviet Union collapsed. There was no reason for NATO to exist. Instead, the wicked people who were in charge uh, of this operation, the uh, expanded ever farther eastward and they finally reached the Ukraine and the Russians said, no, we can't, not not an inch further. It was NATO that started this war. It was the Jews who were operating in the Ukraine, like Victoria Nuland and the Kagan family and all those people. They are the ones who started this war. They are the ones who were responsible for Dario Dugin's death. We have to wake up to the fact that this alien oligarchy it's driving us all at each other's throats. It's driving us all into war with each other. We can't go. We can't go on this way. We have to stop. We have to say no, no. Ireland is for the Irish. Germany is for the Germans. We're backing out of NATO
0: and the UN and the EU and all of the other bureaucratic organizations that have been trying to bring in this uh, one-world government. You've been very critical of the likes of Steve Bannon and and other people at the front of the so-called, you know, the the right, the truth movement in America and in Europe. And again, you know, they will not touch this subject and therefore they're leading people astray. I I really feel that now that any anyone who claims to be on our side in this, that they will not talk about this issue then they're they're not they're not at the races you call them what did you call them um you know sheep or pussycats i think you call them because they're too cowardly they're too frightened but also they're financially beholden because i've noticed that once you start going down this road the gigs stop you will be completely ostracized if you're writing a nice column for a Jewish funded magazine. You'll be dropped until you disassociate yourself with people who might be calling out the Holocaust. And then once you disassociate yourself, then you'll be back into the fold.
1: Well, hopefully I don't think. Look, uh, I, I could run up the white flag tomorrow and no one would take no one would touch me with the 10 foot pole. But what you're saying is true. The 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 so conservatism. Okay, that's good. No, it wasn't. It was a phony operation. It was the uh, substitute for America first. Okay, but then conservatism morphed into neoconservatism, which was obviously Jewish control of the conservative movement. The Jews came in. They took it over. Uh, took it over. The word neocon, uh, Bill Crystal said, oh, the etymology of neocon is neo means new and con means Jew. Ah, oh, that was a joke, wasn't it, Bill? Well, no, it was true. And the classic example of that takeover is First Things magazine. So First Things, Richard John Newhouse, when he was alive, was associated with the Rockford Institute, which was in some sense a a remnant of America first. It was Main Street. It was the Midwest, uh, that type of thing, as opposed to Wall Street and the Jewish bankers. OK, so Newhouse sees a moment of opportunity and he basically steals a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar grant, which was earmarked for the Rockford Institute. And he creates first things as the false front. They're always creating fronts, you know, and so it's oh, yeah, it's conservative. Well, no, it isn't. It was created by Midge Decker and Norman Podaritz to the power couple, the neoconservative movement, and their job is to police the conservative movement so that they never say, if you're a conservative, you never say anything critical of Jews. Well, wait a minute, what's left to talk about? I can't talk about the Ukraine war. I can't talk about abortion because 140 Jewish organizations just announced that it's a fundamental Jewish value. Well, what am I allowed to talk about? Well. Whatever it is, you have to get a permission slip from some Jew. And this is exactly what happened in Germany, except it was explicit there. Every magazine, like Der Spiegel, just like Time magazine, they had to get a license from a Jew by the name of David or Mordecai Levy. Jewish psychiatrists, they had to lie down on a couch and tell them how guilty they felt. And then they got the license. They have controlled this operation in Germany from the beginning. And now the same people who have the steering wheel, hands on the steering wheel, are going to drive this car over the cliff until the, unless the German people wake up and say, enough is enough. We're not taking anymore. The shelf life has expired. We're no longer part of NATO. We're going to make peace with Russia. Turn on the gas.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, it's down to the people of Europe now. You know, I mean, if they don't rise up, I don't know whether rising up is going to change anything because we know they have their robo armies ready to go. They want the chaos. They want the order out of chaos. But we have to do something. And
1: the the one thing that makes people like Frau Baybrook think that she's engaging in virtuous behavior is the Holocaust narrative. That is the fundamental basis of German thought. And they, anything can be justified according to that narrative, including starving the German people to death. Having I mean, them freeze to death in their own apartments this winter.
0: Yeah 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 i I just before you go about bannon you were you were talking about some conversation that he had where he immediately said to the person are you an anti-semite sorry just recall
1: yeah with andrew torba yeah so bannon worked for goldman sachs he worked with hollywood so you know where his allegiance is
0: and he was trump's creator in many ways wasn't he his
1: well, he channeled. He grabbed America first. Look, I voted for Donald Trump because I thought I was voting for America first. And I think Steve Bannon was the main guy who kind of thought of that idea. He's an idea guy. Well, it turned out to be Israel first. Sorry. Sorry. So is he Listen, look, this is the fundamental issue. The only opposition to oligarchic rule now is coming from people like uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida, who uh, attacked the vaccine mandate, attacks Joe Biden, attacks Disney World, but he's completely beholden to the Zionists.
0: Yeah. And he's implementing the surveillance state and 5G and all of that. So, you know, we, we none of them, absolutely none of them can be trusted because the only ones that get into power or influence are the ones that are backed by the Jews financially.
1: You have to sign a pledge. Yeah. Now, we know this because Cynthia McKinney, the black lady from Georgia, shows up at her office. She's elected by the people of her district. She shows up at her office. She hasn't been sworn in yet. And the fax machine turns out the IPAC pledge and says, you've got to sign this. And she said, wait a minute. This is not what I signed on for. I'm representing the people of Georgia. What does this Jewish organization from New York have to do with that? Well, she found out she became persona non grata and they threw a lot of money Uh, gave it to her opponent and she eventually was driven out of office. That's that's the reality of the situation. And until that changes, we are not going to have, we don't, we won't have representative government.
0: And it is down to so-called conservatives, so-called Christians, you know, people who are, who are, who see that through this agenda and see it for what it is, they have to start going to this place and calling yes, out it, the
1: Holocaust. That's right. that's right. But it's deeper than that. And I've said this before about Ireland. This is These people are so powerful that the only way we have a chance is by the grace of God. We cannot do this on our own. It's too far gone. And I'm saying this is what I'm saying about Ireland is also true about Germany. It's also true about France. Until these people return to the faith, they're going to be slaves of Jews. Now, that's not my opinion. That was in an article which appeared in Chievelta Cattolica, the official magazine of the Catholic Church in 1890. That's exactly what they said. They said the legacy of the French Revolution in France is that you broke away from those Christian laws and now you're going to be ruled by Jews. That's the fate of Europe. And until we wake up to that fact, nothing is going to change.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's a good note to to end on. And, you know, I do feel that there is change in the air, definitely. Mike, thank you so much. Your book can be ordered on culturewars.com. Yes. Your new book, The Dangers of Beauty, And um, I would definitely recommend that people invest in it. It's an absolutely beautiful book. And I know that it's been getting really, really good reviews. And there's a very good talk about it, actually, on Bitchute. If people put in your name, they'll, they'll see it. What's that priest's name? The priest that you recommended, Mike. You know, the priest that did the talk?
1: He, I Father, think he did. Father Langan? His- Father Langan? Father Langen? Yeah. yeah. His blurb is on the back. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, um, and also fidelitypress.org is the other way. But culturewars.com will lead you into Mike's books, all of his books, including the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. So thank you so much again for coming on. I hope you'll come on again soon, Mike. Did you want to finish on anything?
1: Just uh, thank you for having me. It's we we need this is the type of conversation that has to take place all throughout Europe right now. The hour is late. We are facing starvation. We are facing the cold. No gas to heat our apartments. Seventy thousand people uh, showed up in the Venceslas Square in Prague to demonstrate the hour is late. We have to act now. We have to return to the roots of Europe, which is the faith the Catholic faith. There's no way out.
0: Yeah. No way out without that. No question. Thank you so much again, Mike. Thank you to everyone who joined us this evening and we'll be back again very soon. Good night, everyone. God bless. Good night, Mike.
1: Good night.